This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Christian Walsh, and with me, as always, is Josh Williams. If you're not really sure or you're a new listener to this this show, what this is is a detailed, statistical, and analytical look at everything that's going around Liverpool Football Club. Now, you know the summer's kicking on. Uh, there's no actual football to analyze, but that isn't stopping us. We've uh, we, we we talked about transfers last week, and uh, what we'll do this week is discuss how Liverpool is set up against the top six. And basically, have, you know, a bit of a progress report and 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 a, and a to do list for all of Liverpool's rivals. The the reason I've decided to have a look at the top six here, and hopefully that will make for a good show, is that ultimately Liverpool's results against the top six last season is what, if you want to say, cost them the the, the Premier League title. I think that's probably harsh, but their results against the top six. We're, we're sort of the the one weak point. Um, you know, the the they didn't get the results that they needed against City at home or away. They drew with Chelsea and Arsenal and Manchester United away. Um, so you know, it, it, these are the games that they're going to have to win. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to go through all Liverpool's uh, rivals, top six rivals, have a look how they're set up and basically what it all means for Liverpool. Um, but you know, before we crack on. Josh, you're looking forward to this one this week. It's a little bit different, obviously, not not necessarily all about Liverpool, but we will try and keep it as Liverpool relevant as possible. No, no, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I write about I write about all these clubs anyway, um, so it'll be interesting to actually be able to delve into other teams other than just Liverpool. Um, and obviously, alongside the fact that we we need to secure results against these teams, these are ultimately our rivals too. These are the teams that we're really competing with at the top, so. You do have to look over and see where they're at and where they may be in next season, things like this. So I do think it's uh, it'll be a different one. Like, Yeah, because we know Liverpool and City are head and shoulders above the rest, uh, certainly based on last season. Um, and we've spoken about Liverpool and Manchester City's strengths and you know, weaknesses, if you want to call them that. Um, but you can listen to those in the archives on previous episodes. But let's kick off with Man City, Josh. Um and let's look at the weaknesses because it is hard to find weaknesses from a team that over the past two seasons has got 198 points. Um, but they need a Fernandinho replacement. Um, and they're also you know, looking at their recruitment strategy over the next couple of seasons. They're in this strange middle ground when you've got the likes of Sergio Aguero, Fernandinho, Gundogan, Walker, and even Kevin De Bruyne all getting older um, and, 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 and entering... Or just slightly passing their peak years, um, and if you want a comparison, Liverpool's average age last season in terms of players used was uh, below the league's average, um, and City's was above the league's average. So it is it is hard to find weaknesses, but there are gaps in the squad, and you know by all all accounts they're, they're doing the best to fill them. Rodri, for example, is, has been heavily linked with a move, uh, the Atletico Madrid uh, midfielder. He could be their Fernandinho replacement. Um, but you know, let, let's try and find the weaknesses, Josh. I mean, wh- where where can could could what could be their downfall next season? What is it just as simple as no team surely can do three years of a near hundred point season? Uh, no, I think I think they 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 don't really have a downfall in terms of players and in terms of the squad. I think it's just a, that they're always going to have 
certainly in the near future, the the strongest squad in the league. I think our first eleven certainly competes with them. Mm. Possibly our eleven is is better. Possibly in, in my opinion, like, um, but I think it's it's the depth that comes into it across the course of the season. If a game's not going their way, they can rotate during Christmas periods and stuff like this. They've just got, and it just stems from the money they've got. You know, it's it's almost an unfair advantage to an extent. Like these players that you've just mentioned, Fernandinho, David Silva, company who's now gone, Aguero. These are all players who are well in the thirties, um, and they're getting on, and they'll be on very very high wages. And most clubs around this period maybe would have cashed in on them players just because that's how you run a business. You know, when, when assets start to depreciate. You cash in on them while they've still got value, which is what we are maybe testing the water with with the Dejan Lovren. You know, it makes sense to keep them around to an extent, but at the same time, if you're trying to run a business, trying to be efficient, it makes sense to take 25 million if a team's offering that. Um, I think City's weakness under Guardiola will always be their strength as well. I think it's their style of play. Um you know, the the whole match gets played in the opposing final third and the suffocate teams, teams can't get out and things like that. But having said that, if you can get out, if you can bypass that press, then you have excessive amounts of space to deal with then and you can counter-attack through them. Um, it, but it's easier said than done. And I think... To be able to do that, I think the teams that have been able to do that over the past couple of seasons have been the teams with, it's simplistic, but the, the teams with better players. I think if you if you, if you you was to press, give me a Mark Noble, again, mm. we'll use Mark Noble after last week. <laughs> <laughs> so if you was to press Mark Noble, you're probably going to get the ball of him. If you was to press um, Ndombele, for example, at Leon, who Spurs are linked with, you're probably not going to get the ball off him. And we saw that in the Champions League, City tried to press, press Leon, for example, um, at, in a similar way that they usually would. But Leon broke the press consistently because they had capable players to do so. They then countered attack through them. And I think the two results they got against City was certainly one draw, and I think the other was a win, was it? Mm-hmm. A draw and a win against City in the groups last season, or this season, or whatever you want to call it. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think City's weakness. Hopefully, they've just got the, the ideal tactic to beating um, the bad teams, and hopefully, um, Premier League teams are now over the the crazy spending that they undertook once we, they start to get an excessive TV money. I think the TV money's stopped now. I think it's capped. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not getting any more anywhere. There was a period where they were getting more and more every season. So if you're getting more and more money, you can just throw it wherever you want and it doesn't really matter. I think hopefully Premier League clubs have moved past that now. We've seen less signings so far. That tells you that teams are being more considered with the signings. And hopefully just gradually as the likes of Bournemouth and West Ham and teams like that start signing better players. That should bode well for us more than City, I'd say. We want to talk about the strengths for a moment, Josh, as well. Though um, let's 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 look at somebody like Bernardo Silva. 
Um, there's a little bit of rumblings that he should be in the Ballon d'Or, certainly in the top three. Um, he's 24. He turns 25 in August. Um, he's that really kind of annoying player who can fit in in a central position, can fit in out wide. And I think he's very much a reason why they're open to selling Leroy Sane of the prices right because they think he can play on the outside. He's, he's that sort of silver, David Silver style um, player who can sort of do a little bit of both. I mean, is it, are we potentially looking at the, the uh, apparent the Messi and Ronaldo? I don't, I don't think, personally speaking, I don't think we're entering a, a period where there will be one player completely above anybody else like Messi and Ronaldo. I, I feel like... You know, Mbappe will be in there. I think Salah's already in there. I feel like, obviously, uh, you know, Van Dijk you can throw in there as well. But is Silva one of those who, in two, three years' time, will be regarded as one of the best in the world? I, th- I, th- I really, really rate Bernardo Silva. I think he's absolute top level. He's just a manager's dream to an extent. I saw the question the other day on Twitter. And I said, if you, if you could take one player from your top six, from from anywhere, anyone else in the top six, who would it be? And it probably would be Bernardo Silva from from a Liverpool perspective because he offers that creative spark whilst being an absolute grafter. Um, doesn't stop running. I was at I was at Statsbomb last week um, using their, you know, I got access to their data, Statsbomb IQ and stuff, and you can access. Um, pressure data so how how active a player is in terms of pressurising the ball when the opposing team's in possession and he, you know he's off the scale he's, he's everywhere yeah he's, he, he doesn't stop running he, co- he co- covers all kinds of distance when he's playing um, and he's got those horrible little um, traits in terms of like when Milner was in the final and Milner puts the ball on the opposite side of the semicircle when he's taking that corner to waste time Silver's got all of them. He's got all of them little. He doesn't stop in the referees here, and they're not particularly nice to watch on the mm. TV. But winners do have these horrible little. Um, well, I don't know what the word is. The Quicks, dark hearts. Yeah, the dark, dark hearts. I'd say yeah. Um, but yeah, Bernardo's top quality. I'm not. I, I'm not sure he's Ballon d'Or level yet. Um, he's had a superb season, incredibly consistent. But I think Ballon d'Ors just. Next level stuff. That's mm. that's um, he's won trophies, hasn't he? But he hasn't. Yeah, he's won. Trophies. He's the Finca Man's Ballon d'Or nominee, if that makes sense yeah. in terms of you know he's sort of he's won four trophies and he's he's in the engine room. He's been very very important for for all of us for all of those trophies, Man City and Portugal. But he's not been the main man at Man City. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think nor, there's nor a, Portugal. Yeah, I think there's a lot of contrarians out there who like to go against the grain. I'd say. And I think, although that's nice sometimes, I think the Ballon d'Or should be an obvious choice. The Ballon d'Or should just go, always go to the obvious player. For me, the obvious player would be either Messi or Van Dijk. There's no, there's no other, possibly Mbappe in there as well. Um, they're, they're the three obvious choices. I think when you're throwing the likes of Sterling in there and Bernardo Silva, um, if there's any elements of doubt in, in your head where you've where you have got to sit and think for a second, it shouldn't be the case with the Ballon d'Or. It's it's just the best player in the world for the for that year. Um, but yeah, he's he is an absolute top player, rating really highly and horrible to play against. But if he was a Liverpool player, you know, would absolutely love him. The one player I think Man City would miss the most if uh, and you know, and we're not wishing this at all. You know, 
touch wood it wouldn't happen but if a player was to be out for a season with an injury for example or, or even to be sold this summer you know surprisingly I think it'd be Sergio Aguero I, I yeah, feel I like he's that, yeah. the absolute talisman now the interesting thing is in in reserve there they've got someone who has been lauded as probably one of the best backups in the world in Gabriel Jesus Um but strangely, I never really felt that sense of dread when he was coming on last season. I never felt that he was, you know, capable of turning a game the way that maybe he was the city year before. He's definitely, for me, um, levelled out a little bit. His, his progression stalled a little bit. Um, and the numbers there, 29 appearances last season, uh, seven goals. Uh, a lot of those were, were from the bench, of course. You know, uh, he's he scored and you know not not at a rate of what's that one in one in four um, but I just want to throw this one to you so he scored seven goals but his XG was actually 12.6 so is is this a case of Gabriel Jesus is now still only 22 um, is there a case where he could he's getting in the right positions all he needs is a bit of game time and Man City all of a sudden I've got a top level striker in reserve or even again doing battle with Sergio Aguero well, you say he's getting in the right positions there. He's absolutely getting in the right positions because his, his XG per 90 is is superb. It's 0.72. <laughs> I think Aguero's last time I looked was 0.7. Mm. So, and 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 he's he scored 0.78 per 90 as well. Based on that's based on all club competitions this season. So he's certainly a he, he for me. He's got that poaching nature to him he's, got, he's a bit of a poacher and I'm, I'm looking at his shot map here his shot maps again it's superb They're virtually every shot inside the the 18 yard box he doesn't take pot shots does he I'm just having no, a look here yeah no and a lot of them are, a lot of them are central in um, you know the width of the 6 yeah, yard box some of the misses he's had I'm just looking at on understat this is I think you're on my scouts I'm just looking at understat I'm on my scout yeah. 0.58 miss 0.59 miss um, the save shots 0.56 0.55 0.39 0.48 yeah, yeah. he could have scored 15-16 goals here yeah but that, I think it is worth mentioning what you said about the substitute thing he could perhaps be coming on and regularly benefiting from um, dealing with teams that are knackered for lack of a better word I mean if you deal with City for an hour 60, 70 minutes you're gonna be tired, and you're gonna be. There's gonna be more gaps than than at the start. So perhaps he's benefiting from that, and he's a really intriguing player in terms of. I'd like to see him play consistently week in week out for you know even half a season. Um, but because Aguero's still there, and I think Aguero, I think Aguero's one of City's. I think City have got an incredible squad, a really really high standard throughout the whole team. But I think Aguero is one of the very few real elite players that, say for example, he was in a final. We've talked about individual player quality coming into it, went more so in a final. I think when you're when Pep's reliant on a player and reliant on, you know, his players to provide a moment, he's the guy you look mm. towards. Um, he did it against Liverpool the other season. Exactly, he did it against Burnley when you know the away game where it was millimeters over mm. the line. He does provide those big moments. Well, the ultimate 2012, I know it wasn't the Pep, but... Yeah, exactly, the there ultimate. you go, yeah. yeah. 
I won't do a Martin Tyler. No, like please don't. Impression. I, do you know what? I could, at the time, I was absolutely buzzing because they beat United to that, and I, I, I absolutely loved it. Now I can't watch it without just feeling a little bit sick in my mouth. No, I don't. You know, it's weird how it changes, isn't it? But yeah, it is weird. Yeah, but I, I, he's an intriguing little player. Mm. He's, I'm, to be honest, whenever I watch him, I'm not. I'm not massively sold on him. I don't Floats think he's in and yeah, out the game. Yeah. We need more on him. I think. Mm. I think we just need we we need to see more of him to to gauge to gauge a proper, you know, proper observation of what his what his actual game mm. is. But he seems to have he seems to have gradually like come out of the the fray since since Guardiola after initially being really involved mm. and almost threatening to knock Aguero out of place. Aguero's just came back and, you know, he gets he, he seems to get his minutes either as a substitute or against... Who did they beat 9-0? Yeah, Burton. <laughs> Burton, yeah, there you go, do you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, he's a player that, would, that he's worth watching down the years, but it will be interesting to see what really happens with Aguero once he really starts to, to, to regress at the age of maybe 33 and mm. that, you know, onwards. He's surely nailed on to go to Argentina back home at some point. Um... And it can't come soon enough from a Liverpool perspective, I think. Uh, we'll move on then to Chelsea. Really interesting one, this. Um, new manager, it looks like it's Frank Lampard, um, which I know we're going to get stuck into in a moment. Um, funnily enough, just breaking news from the Times there, that is Stevie's uh, rejected the chance to replace him at Derby. That's which is very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I would question <laughs> what he's doing. But okay. Um he's obviously very loyal to Rangers and that that's fine. Um maybe maybe do you know what? Maybe he has access to White Scouts and he saw exactly how much Darby Open performed last season and he knows <laughs> that they can't sustain it because this is a big thing with obviously Sadi's gone. We, we I don't think there's much point talking about what came because every Sadi's style of football was so specific. We're not gonna see those traits too much next season. So if it is Frank Lampard, and it's looking like it is now, um, this is this is really interesting to me, Josh, because Derby County overperformed massively. I think we mentioned this slightly when we've been talking about Harry Wilson, but they finished sixth, they got to the playoff final, but their level of performance when you look at XG and uh, XA, expect the goals, expect the assists, and also just underlying numbers, they were a bottom half championship side. Yeah, Derby had one, a very, very, very weird season. Uh, I done a thread on it a couple of weeks ago, just with a few graphics and things like that, just to put into perspective how weird their season was. Um, and funnily enough, they, they had a weird season the year before too under uh, Gary Vow, was it? I think it was, yeah. Um, but yeah, just a, a, a very, very strange, very strange season. And considering it's Lampard's very first year in management, it's there's not enough there to gauge. Because there's such an overperformance there, beyond what you'd expect, um, there's a, a real chance that that's not sustainable. And when you're overperforming to such an extent, there's a chance that you can just out of nowhere fall off a cliff in terms of results, although your performances have probably been the same the whole time. Your results can really drop off. It happened to, um, to Redden. So the season Redden got to the championship playoff final against Huddersfield uh, under Yapstam, they were sort of bottom half and people were saying, this is ridiculous. How on earth have Redden got this far because they are performing like a bottom half team the season after they were fighting relegation? Yeah. And Stam was gone by November, December, I think. It's Yeah, yeah. Well, it happened with Pardew. 
Alan Pardew a couple of years ago with the famous six-year contract, was mm-hmm. he? He finished fifth, I think, with Newcastle. Yeah, he did. Um, and his XG just didn't say it was... <laughs> it should have been the case. His XG said it was... Uh, I can't remember what area he was, maybe around 15th, mm. 10th to 15th, something like that. Um, so six-year deal, everything's great. And next season, I don't know, with roughly the same underlying numbers, they end up in a relegation battle. Uh, I'm not sure if he got sacked or not that season, but... I think he did in the end, He was yeah. certainly in trouble, mm. yeah. Um, so th- that's what XG offers. Like XG ultimately is a, a long-term performance indicator to suggest where, where you're going and where you're going to be. And just for a bit of perspective, Derby finished 21st in the division for XG. 21st in the division for expected goals. So if you're the... I'm not even going to delve into that, in fact. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and also 23rd in the division for XG per shot. So that offers an insight into how clear-cut your chances are. So if, if Derby's the 23rd most clear-cut in the league... That suggests they're struggling to create good chances and they're probably shooting from anywhere. Um, they scored 18 league goals more than expected and they should have conceded 63. They actually conceded 57. That's a bit of a less overperformance, but still overperformance. Yeah. Um, overall, there's about that's an overperformance of about 25 goals there, which is just mental and... You know, considering it's it's such an overperformance, as I said, there's a real chance that that he he's a bad manager. He could be. Not, I mean, he's not a bad manager. We're not, we're not just numbers focused here, because he, by all accounts, he's done he's done good things throughout the season. He's been yeah, he developed. You know, yeah, his, yeah, his style been, developed, and yeah, he's good with his kids and and, and things like that. And um, he's made key decisions throughout the season. He made a big decision in reference to the goalkeeper and stuff like this. But purely in terms of the performance of his team, Derby shouldn't have been where they were. So if Chelsea do give him the job at the minute, it will be a, a real a proper risk. Um, because even though he's had a season in management, we still have no idea how good his teams perform. If you're going based on strictly outcomes and results, then he finished sixth and he did okay. If you're going based on something perhaps more reliable, under the surface, they look like a, a you know, bottom half team. Mm. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Uh, and I'd be inclined to think that if they did give him the job, it'd be purely because he's been a legend at the club, you know, for nostalgia purposes and based on the results he secured rather than something a bit more story. Um, like I read a piece from the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. Uh, on Liverpool mm-hmm. data analytics and stuff like that and it had a bit about Ian Graham in it and things like that and obviously the season before we appointed Klopp he had a really bad season at Dortmund uh, I think they were in the relegation zone at Christmas I think they were bottom at Christmas yeah, yeah yeah but because Ian Graham and because the people behind the scenes at the club had XG metrics and things like that they knew that Klopp didn't deserve to be there it was a case of bad luck to an extent and the performance of Dortmund warranted a much higher position. So that was important for Liverpool to know at the time because, you know, managers can just have hot streaks and cold streaks. So when Dortmund had a really bad streak, you need to know whether that's because of the manager being bad or 
or whether that's because of, um, you know, just bad fortune. Klopp ended up getting the job and stuff like that. So these things should come into it when you're appointing a manager. And if Chelsea appoint, appoint Lampard without um, giving them another season, maybe in the championship to see if those numbers level out. As I said, it'll be a, a major risk. Do you, do you think it might be twofold? Number one, I think they probably want to get Jody Morris in the club. Um, he's obviously done a lot of excellent work in terms of youth developments. And, you know, this comes to the transfer ban and, and, and the impact that can have. You know, Lampard's certainly, from, from what I've read and what people have said, he, he has tried to develop players. Um, and maybe this is a case of bringing in a manager who, you know, can extract potential from from young players you know I know they overperformed but Mason Mount had a good good season Harry Wilson had his best season so far um, and then we talk about the transfer ban and the impact that can have I'd imagine you'd see Mason Mount coming back I'd imagine you'd see Tammy Abraham having some sort of um, chance at Stamford Bridge this season um, but it, it will be very very interesting Um yeah, we, we we will see. I must admit, it could go it, it could go either way with Lampard. I don't want to cast aspersions too much, but I do feel like if they were to get Lampard, I feel like Chelsea would be in a in a slight shot above it. They're also losing, of course, Eden Hazard. Um, so just just to put a bit of context, Chelsea actually had more shots per ninety than Liverpool last season. And it's interesting you say about per shots um, xG per shot. They Josh because they were second in the league, but their xG was actually sixth. In, in, in the league so their pair shots XG must be way 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 down as well in terms of you know that's something Lampard's inheriting there yeah it um, was I checked that yeah, before yeah. I so, think it was around 13th maybe yeah so that, that's going to be interesting that's something that they're not going to improve necessarily um, but the losing Hazard um, he was third in terms of shots pair 90 um, and he obviously played a lot more minutes than, than uh, the players above him I think it was Hudson Odoi and Giroud um, and he was their most frequent dribbler um, and he was second in the Premier League behind Palace on that. Um, and they were only third in the league for shots against as well. So, you know, I, I think they were comfortably third last season, but this is a real big summer for them and, and it could be a really restless one um, and one which could see them drop a little bit, I think. Yeah, I actually think Shaddy could be a, a, quite a big loss. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't think he was particularly valued by the club, by the fan base and... Good on him, in my opinion, for leaving and going back. To, oh, did, well, back you know, to he's, he's <laughs> you know, he, he clearly not good enough for Chelsea, but he's at the Serie A champions, and I know it's an, an easy yeah. league, etc. But you know, you've you know mugs. No, no, but I think he, he, he I mean, there was definite issues there. There were definite problems with what he was trying to do, but you know, with gradual repetition, more time spent at the club, those will, um, those will even out, and and and. The issues that he was having in certain areas, the team will have, would have overcome. But, but Klopp's first season at Liverpool was not was not particularly good. Pochettino's first season at Spurs again was not particularly good. Sarri's was actually fairly decent. Mm. They were definitely the third best team in the league. Um, won the Europa League deservedly so as well. I mean, he didn't even lose a single game. I don't think in the whole tournament, even in the groups. Um, I think they had. Certain issues here and there, like I think in the in the final third, I think they were a bit toothless, and I think they were a bit reliant on Hazard once the ball reached the final third. Um, like they they took the most long shots in the league, took the most shots from outside the box, more shots than any other any other team, and that 
that suggests a bit of frustration. Um, that suggests that you know we don't particularly know how to get the ball into the box, kind of thing. Um, I think a lot of it stemmed from the strikers he had. I just don't think they were overly suited. I think Giroud, Marate, Higuain, none of them are particularly mobile. Um, none of them are particularly, you know, active menaces to opposing defenses and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think Sadi just got Sadi just offers the the generics of what you should be trying to achieve as a football team. I think the the general goal, you know, in terms of analytics and stuff like this, is basically outshoot your opponent. You should be having more shots than the opposing team. Hopefully. Um, hopefully better shots too and you know logic suggests that as a result you should be scoring more goals than them Chelsea averaged a fair amount of shots and they kept shots against to a minimum Um, so you know I think Sarri was underappreciated I think he'll I'm not sure exactly sure how he'll do at Juventus but I think at Chelsea he was doing he was doing well and um I think the 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 will suffer. I think this season. That mind you, I think it's worth saying that although Lampard's underlying numbers weren't particularly strong and things like that, and they're concerning. At the same time, it's still only his debut season in management, so there's not enough there yet. I'd say to say he's a he's a bad manager or he's going to be bad. It's just a case of we have no idea how good he is because of such an overperformance on his numbers. So this season he could be good, could be shocking. That's 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 what the the story is there. It's just there's just not enough to go on for me for a club like Chelsea to be given him a job. There's just not enough to not enough evidence there to suggest he's he's good enough at what he's doing. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the move on to Tottenham and you know you couldn't have a bigger contrast really where you know Chelsea have got this summer of uncertainty and, and, a, and a real question mark over their prospective new manager I mean Mauricio Pochettino we know what we're going to get we know what he does um, so we've spoken a bit about Spurs well quite a bit about Spurs actually in length uh, because of the Champions League final etc so rather than talking about their tactical Elements and you know we know all about the tactical flexibility. Uh, let's have a little look at their recruitment because obviously the, the, they didn't sign anybody last summer. First uh, Premier League team since the transfer window opened, took a whole year without signing a single player. Um, and the two big names who've been linked, Josh um, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso of Real Betis and uh, Tangai and Dombele, who you've mentioned a couple of times now. I know you're a big fan. Um, now the midfield for me is is, is I mean we'll, we'll talk, I'll talk about this a little bit later in terms of I think that they need work in every area, um, which is a real um, it's it's a real uh, you know signal of how well Pochettino has done that he's he's got them to where he has. But I think every position needs needs work at Spurs. But the midfield in particular, look at some of those players. They've obviously lost them Bailey, who was already in decline slightly because of injuries. Uh, Eric Dyer is not necessarily great. Harry Winks is a, a good player, but he's, he he can't do it all alone. So Lo Celso and Ndombele, they would transform that midfield. They would definitely, and that's I, worrying for Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Spurs. I think Spurs are ultimately in need at the minute of um, 
Pochettino 2.0 kind mm. of thing. I think he's had a, fair, a ve- very fair crack at the whip with the group that he's just got to the final with. But I think it's very, very clear that they have a ceiling. They fell just short of winning the Premier League over the couple of seasons. Fell just short, surprisingly, of even winning the Champions League. But I think they've had they've had their run, I think. like And um, I think if Spurs can do what Liverpool done to an extent by selling their key playmaker, if you like, in, in Christian Eriksen, and then reinvest that, um, that money on La Celso and, and Dombele, I think that would certainly improve them. That would be really, really interesting to see because they are two top quality players, both very young. Um, and Pochettino hasn't had a midfield for a full season. Hence why Christian Eriksen's had a fairly limited season because he's been compensating for that. Pochettino's been using him in a way whereby he's fulfilling multiple roles at once. So his creativity suffered as, as a result. Um, but, you know, that's why he's been playing a midfield diamond and things like this because he just hasn't had a midfield. So Deli Ali's been in the diamond. Eriksen's been in the diamond. Moussa Sissoko has been a mainstay in the and midfield pairing and things like that. It's just not, they're just not... I mean, it, it offers an insight into how how good Pochettino is at adapting and solving problems and stuff, but he hasn't had players. <laughs> um, so if he if he was to sign two, two central players like that who are really top quality, both incredibly progressive, both... We, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how unique it is to have midfielders in central areas that can dribble. Lo Celso and Ndombele are two of those. Um, so Spurs will be getting two there. Uh, and Pochettino's got this way about him too, whereby he likes to just completely clog the middle of the pitch and just have one player on either flank. That's why his, his fullback's really important. So he'll have two highly mobile fullbacks and everyone else just kind of gets in the middle. So if he's got the likes of Ndombele and Lo Celso in the middle, as opposed to maybe Ericsson and, I don't know, Dyer or Sissoko or whoever it may be. I just think it's going to improve Spurs overall. Going to make them a lot more mobile, a lot more all-round, a lot more complete. Um, and part of me wants them to sign them, just to make the league a bit more competitive and just to see how they fare. And just because I think Poch deserves it, to be honest. I'd quite like to see, for example, Man City play Spurs in the second game of the season at the Etihad. I'd much rather Man City will line up against the Spurs with Ndombele and La Celso in midfield. Because I feel like they they could get at Man City. And look, it it makes it more difficult for Liverpool as well. There's no denying that. But I think, and you know, we can talk about this a little bit, um, you know, this podcast, next podcast, whichever, but, you know... Ultimately, I think the more competitive... Liverpool are the European champions. Um, they've beaten Barcelona. They've beaten Bayern Munich. They've beaten Manchester City. They've beaten Tottenham. Um, and they've also beaten Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United. I think what you've just said there epitomises the differences between Liverpool and City. Liverpool are a much more adaptable, um, you know, capable side in mm. terms of coming up with a way to beat top opponents I think City's style is just ideally suited to beating teams that are bad hence why they win hence why Pep Guardiola 
always accumulates like around 100 points every every single league he goes to. Obviously, he's got ridiculous players. I mean, that comes into it. But his style is so suited to just penning the opposing team in and just creating chance after chance after chance after chance until you score. And because of how far the ball is away from their goal, it's just impossible for these these bad teams to get up the pitch. Mm. So, as I said earlier, just by by opposing by opposing teams, the likes of Spurs, maybe Wolves, Leicester, just adding better players, capable players who who would start for City, maybe the likes of Lo Celso and and Andombele. It'll just give them more to to cope with. Um, just give City more issues because I think City have really benefited from the, the poor standard of the recruitment that's been undertaken throughout the league But so the stronger the league gets the, the better it is for Liverpool ultimately yeah for me yeah mm. well I've, one, one thing I did want to point out about Spurs as well looking at Ndombele in particular because he is this driving force from midfield you know I was looking at average touches in a box per game um, from top six size and you've got David Silva 6.4 touches Salah 5.7, Hazard 5.77, Lacazette 5.3, Martial 4.6. And then in terms of the regular players for Tottenham, you've got Kane 3.93 and Son 3.67. They don't get into the box. They don't They don't sort of have that presence in the box, which is, we know Kane's adapted his game slightly, so he drops off a little bit. He's, he's almost like this hybrid 9-10 now. Um, likewise, Son isn't you out and out, but they, they don't have that sort of midfielder driving who will, or that 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 wide player who will get into the box and and, and take many touches. So somebody like Ndombele, uh, I'm not too sure if Lo Celso can be that player, but you know certainly Ndombele um, could be that player who sort of gets in the box and, and creates close to goal. Yeah, well, the first thing that I checked when I saw that on the agenda was uh, Spurs' XG per shot. Because, you know, the, the way in which shots are given an XG, it, the main the main influence and factor in a value given to a shot is how close it is to goal. So a shot that's inside the box will be valued completely different to a shot outside the mm. box. And the same goes for if it's inside the six-yard box as opposed to inside the 18-yard box. The closer you get to goal, the better the chances are that that you're getting. And if Spurs, if their players regularly um, have very few touches in the box, that suggests they're not getting in there much. So they're probably not taking many shots in there. So anyway, Spurs are twelfth in the league for XG per shot. Which, to be honest, I, I expected a little a little bit worse, but it's it's still not particularly great mm. considering Liverpool are second. Mm. I think I think City were fourth, Arsenal top. Um, so it's not where you want to be um, and I don't know maybe it's just been again to, to help out the midfield that hasn't been there the likes of Kane has been dropping back and things like that but it will just be, just be interesting to see how Spurs develop they're a team that I do admire to an extent um, I like what they're doing I think they're they're almost like a a mini version of us I think with a smaller ceiling I think Liverpool are just a bigger club, bigger fan base, bit more money, um, better manager, mm. better analysis departments and all this stuff. But I do like what Spurs are doing. Um, hopefully they do sign those players. And what you've just said about uh, Ndombe and Lascelles. So I think Ndombe is more likely to influence things deeper, mm. getting to the final third 
And then Los Celso is going to be more of a... Not an Ericsson replacement, but he's, cl- he's closer to that mould. He knits the yeah, play he's favoured up anyway. To an extent, but he's less of a creator than Ericsson. He's more inclined to score instead. Mm. He's a, I'd say he's closer to... Ali? A Deli Ali yeah. type, yeah, than, um, than Ericsson. Um, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, you, you want goals ultimately. In the, I think Lo Celso scored... I think he scored nine in La Liga. Um, 16 in all competitions and... He's played like in a variety of roles for better, just off the front man, things like that, and in, in, in different systems. So he's he's got that flexibility about him that Poch will like. That's just a very adaptable team. Like Lucelso also fits into that mold of, you know, he was sort of cast aside in the PSG because he was obviously he was obviously picked up, and there was some reason why PSG decided to bring him from Argentina. Um, but then obviously, as as you know, let's say happened with Coutinho, for example, or Inter Milan, the bigger names just get the the, the, the bigger and the better playing time. Um, they fall off the radar, they go down, drop to somewhere like Betis. In Coutinho's um, example, it was Espanyol. Um, and then, you know, it, it, they become available, so it could be a really astute pickup. Uh, just very briefly on Spurs as well, um, you can't get away, because I, mean, I, I think Spurs are the, the, the team that could potentially... Close the gap. Yeah, I yeah. think they're the ones who could close the gap. But they did massively overperform last season. Um, as a, and this is mainly because, I mean, famously, they drew twice, I think it was, in 38 games. Um, and that's because a lot of the games that were going to be draws became wins. So they should have scored around 62 goals, um, which would have been just four more than Bournemouth's XG um, and conceded um, 49, which is 10 more than they actually did. Um, so they conceded 49. They should have conceded 49, but they only conceded 39. Um, which is behind Wolves and Leicester and on par with Everton in terms of XG conceded. And yeah, should have scored around 62 um, when they, they massively scored more than that. Um, and in general, yeah, they should have finished sixth in on XG points. Um, so, you know, although I think that they are the team that can close the gap, they've also got a sort of deal with that overperformance. I think what we'll do there, Josh, um, because we've gone on a lot and we've still got Arsenal and Man United and the overall view to do. I think next week we'll look at Arsenal, we'll look at Man United and we'll look at the general. We might even do a little bit of a uh, prediction of the top six and how we can see that pattern out um, and go into more detail as well about recruitment and why it's important for Liverpool to for it to be a better league so we can even bring in the likes of Wolves, Everton, Watford. Um, I basically, we're, we're all about on this podcast looking at things as, as much detail as possible and I don't want to brush over Arsenal and Man United. I think they're both very interesting cases, United especially. Um, so we will look at the rest of the top six next week um, as well as you know the, the, the pretenders to the, to the throne, your Wolves, Watford, Everton, West Ham. Obviously, doing bits in the transfer market as well. Just to close, then, Josh, a uh, little bit about transfers. Um, we 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 suggested a couple of left backs on this show over the past couple of weeks. Lloyd Kelly's gone. Angelino is going to back to Man City. Justin James is apparently going to Leicester City. So obviously, Brendan Rodgers and Pep Guardiola are keen listeners of this podcast, um, and it also shows that Liverpool have, have, have got to keep their eye out on on left-backs and no doubt they, they have someone lined up to be their backup left-back. Um, but we will we will end on the, the rumour that's that's ignited social media. It's so, so unlikely, Josh. Um, but let's humour ourselves for one moment. Kylian Mbappé 
Um, this is this is this all. I think I think this all stemmed from times Liverpool correspondent Paul Joyce retweeting a Killian and Bath tweet. I mean, this is this is football fandom in. 2019, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I have to say, it's, it's, it's. I can't put into words how unlikely it is. They, they were interested years ago when he went to Monaco, when he went from Monaco to PSG, but you know, it was never really in the offing. There was interest there, um, of course, there would be. You know, it's, it's Kylian Mbappe back when he was at Monaco. Um, but let's humor ourselves for a moment, Josh. Just want to throw a shout out to some of his numbers: 0.97 goals per 90. Um, silly it's, it's ridiculous say I, that again no point nine seven goals per 90 <laughs> minutes and I, I know the French League is the French League but you know I'll throw I'll, I'll bring that up in a little bit um, 0.73 XG um, 7.34 dribbles which is a 68% success rate as well um, he also has an assist per 90 of tw- 0.25 which is the exact same as his um, XA his expected assists uh, and I also thought it was interesting, you know, you sort of say, well, they play through him. Well, not necessarily. He receives an average of 25 passes per game. And for some sort of comparison there, Salah receives 20, uh, Mane 22, but Firmino 30. Um, Mbappe, Josh, where does he fit in? How does he fit in? It's not going to happen, but can we just dream for a moment and how amazing would he be in our field? I think it's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's a crazy notion to even dream. Um, we, we, I mean, we talk about you know who's the heir to the throne of Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, it's it's Mbappe. Let's yeah, face it. It's... Absolutely no question. Yeah, he's, this kid's a star. This kid's the next big thing. Um, I think he's generational for me. I think mm. he's like uh, the closest thing I've seen so far to um, the original Ronaldo, mm. Brazilian. Uh, twenty years old. We need to say that twenty years old. This kid has thirty nine goals this season. Uh, Ten assists. That's all club competitions, I think. Um, the ultimate box threat, based on what I've seen this season. Um, I think he's averaging over six, I think it was six point six point two or something like that, 6.3 um, individual box moments per 90. So, you know, I spoke earlier about XG values being being related to how close your shots are to goal. Mbappe takes a ton from inside the area. Proper good shots in good areas. Scores loads from um, through balls as well. Obviously that stems from his speed. He's lightning quick. Um, and in terms of Liverpool, I, I could only... Surely one would have to leave. Surely Salah would have to leave. Um, because it doesn't, it doesn't really... Well, the only way I can think we could fit them all in would be a four-two-three-one um, with either Mbappe or Salah as the most advanced striker, and then obviously Mane, Firmino, and Mbappe or Salah as the right-sided man, mm-hmm. uh, which is silly. If you picture that on paper, that is a scary front line. Uh, and I think teams are just. You know, sit in, shut up shop from from minute one because of the uh, the attack and potential and the speed, the speed mm. of that attack. Uh, but it's it's unrealistic, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't make a great deal of sense. I think Liverpool have, I mean, you obviously make exception because it's Mbappe, but I think Liverpool have benefited greatly from signing players in the past couple of seasons who are hungry 
and willing, hungry and with a desire to prove themselves at the at the top level. And I think Mbappe, he's almost already a star. He's already at the top of the game. He's already a superstar. And you know, you see pictures of him at the minute in America, like almost like on a mini tour. Um, and he's still just he's only just not a teenager. Like he's he's, he's same age as Trent, and we rack back a little about Trent, rightly so. Yeah, he's but reached he's, uh, he's reached stardom very quickly. And as I said, it, you make exceptions because it's Mbappe, but it doesn't necessarily fit with the the hungry player that Liverpool usually target. Uh, and you know, there's, there's those pictures, isn't there? I've seen the picture of Klopp giving him a note. That's interesting. Like, I wonder what, wonder what that did say. But it's, it's a, it's never going to happen, is it? I mean, but you can only dream. You, you can dream, and and the thing is about him, you know, there, there will always be the the thing. He's only done it in the French league so far, but I had a look at the Champions League, um, and he was seventh in combined XG and XA in the Champions League, and that was when PSG got knocked out in the last sixteen. By Man United, yeah. So five games, and he's seventh. Yeah. So it's, Salah and Mane were, were were more, but obviously they had far more games. What's that? An extra, an extra five games. Um, it's and, it's worth saying as well that like the French league gets slated, um, it gets called the Farmers League and stuff like that. But there is a serious amount of talent yeah. in, in that French league. There's honestly there's a there's a lot of talent, it's, and there's, there's worse leagues out there. It's worth a pod on its own, though. Yeah, yeah, you, you definitely. There's worse leagues out there than France. Um, so although it's perceived as he's doing it in the Farmers League, the, the is Farmers Leagues out there, for me, League One is not is not one of them. He's, it's, it's, a, it's a decent league, decent standard league. And Fabinho, Bernardo Silva. Yeah. If there's, there's, plenty, there's two for a start. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of... If you, if you was to move over the likes of Lyon um, and PSG, obviously, Monaco, maybe not last season, but you know the Monaco, the Monaco know, team. Yeah, these teams would do very, very well in the Premier League, and even even slightly lower teams like I don't know, you know, Lille and and teams like this, Marseille. They they're not they're not bad sides. Um, it's just the the publicity and, and and the real bottom end of the league is is maybe substandard, but it's it's not as bad as as you think. So no, although Mbappe is posting these ridiculous numbers, it's not simply because he's playing with semi-professional footballers mm. these are these are top talents over there top five league um, I, I, was, I, I just had to give a shout out as well so when I was looking at the Champions League and sort of the, the rankings in terms of XG and XA um, second behind Lionel Messi was Dusan Tadic <laughs> uh, now you know admittedly a run to the I'm not sure if they include the qualifiers and that so there would have been even more games um, but you know, fair play you know uh, uh, Clearly, Liverpool got the, the you know of, of when they raided Southampton, they they obviously missed the one the one that they really wanted, and that was a first year old Dusan Tadic, uh, second behind Lionel Messi on XG and XA. Um, but yeah, it, you know, in, in terms of recruitments as well, there's Josh. You know, you 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 look at somebody like Mbappe, but as you say, not, it's not the type of player. Where do you see him going? Uh, Real Madrid, yeah, That's but not this season. No, maybe not this season. No, but he's. he's I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm going to contradict myself here, but he's too good for France. He's too good no, for yeah, that yeah, league. Yeah, yeah, um, having said that, it is still a strong league, but he's. He's just. He's a next level player, generational, as I say, and. You know, they, they just don't get the coverage over there, and they don't get the respect. And I think Mbappe needs needs that. He needs to be in. 
Premier League or, or Spanish League, you know, at the lowest. Um, and I think I do think he's a he's the next major Ballon d'Or um, holder in terms of mm. consistently winning it year on year. And as I say, he's twenty. He's twenty years old. He's considerably way, way, way above his years, way advancing of his year, of his years. And uh, to think of what he'll be like when he's maybe twenty six, twenty seven. It's it's just madness, but you know, permitting he doesn't get any injuries like um, same career path as Michael Owen, for example. But you just you can't even imagine how how good he could possibly be. And considering he will get to that level, Real Madrid usually end up with those, um, unless Lionel Messi declines considerably mm. in the next couple of years, and Barca want that next, you know, consistent. This, we've got the best player in the world at, at our club and Mbappe for me would be that but you know it remains to be seen where he'll end up yeah, join us next week when we dissect uh, Mbappe's move to Manchester City and we all have a <laughs> massive cry uh, no thanks very much for that Josh so uh, next week we did manage to get through all the top six but I'm, I'm fine with that I, I don't feel like it's something that we, we can we can gloss over so next week we'll talk a little bit about Arsenal a little bit about Manchester United and how it all fits into Liverpool we'll look at the best of the rest uh, and hopefully we'll have some more absolutely ridiculous transfer rooms that we can we can get involved with so we can sort of see how Lionel Messi fits in at Anfield thanks very much for this week Josh we'll be back next week any suggestions as always I'm at Christian underscore Walsh Josh is at distance covered join the Facebook group as well uh, Blood Red it's, uh, it's, it's a cracking group it's uh, some very nice friendly conversations going on and a real big interest in analysing Anfield so thanks very much for listening to this week we'll be back next week have a good weekend you've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo